You know, one of the most exciting things about working with Gun.io is I get to work with some of the most important consumer brands and fitness brands and enterprise brands. And what you find is that they're all looking for the very best talent and they're competing for it. And one thing I tell clients all the time is that, hey, you know, if you can develop um, the mindset to, to hire remote freelance engineers, what you're going to find is that it opens up the pool of available talent because you're not going to have to fight over the same group of FTEs from all the other companies in your space. And so now what we can do is bring you a cohort of people that other companies aren't competing with you against. And it's really a competitive advantage to take stock of that and find some excellent people you can bring on board. This is the Frontier Podcast powered by Gun.io, the engineer's choice for engineering talent. If you like what you hear, rate, review, and subscribe, and follow us on Twitter at The Frontier Pod. John, great to have you, man. Thanks for joining. Hey, thanks for having me, Ledge. Awesome to get to get to do this together. It's nice to nice to riff on some nerdy stuff together. <laughs> so could you, if you don't mind, give a like two or three minute, you know, background story of, of you and your work, you know, just so the audience can get to know you a little bit. Sure. Yeah. I am an uh, engineer by training and CEO by day. I uh, work with uh, Oculus 360, which is an AI um, platform that uh, is used to sort of decipher what's intended in terms of purchase demand from comments and pictures and other things that consumers may upload. Uh, I've been doing it for since 2012 and been an entrepreneur you know, since 97. So a little, little bit on me. Yeah, right on. A good, good journey there. Um, yeah. You know, and uh, we were talking off mic, you know, it's just like AI, you know, for marketing and consumers. And, you know, it's like, wow, like there's only, you know, 7,500 companies that, you know, talk about that now in their in their copy. But um you know, you yeah. talked about the plight of the the trailblazer, you know, yeah. kind of originally in that, like when you when you have to be the person that kind of makes a new category <laughs> or the company that, you know, yeah. takes responsibility for that in in all the bumps and bruises. Yeah. Tell that tell that story a little bit, because yeah. I, I know a lot of people resonates with that. So. Sure. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, like I said, 2012 in 2012. You know, if you think of just even the way consumers engaged uh, was different. And so your data source is different in this case. But, you know, when we were first going to market, um, talking about, yeah, from from consumer comments, you can extract, you know, when people are using products and you know what they think about it and and what are the best features for those occasions. Um, you know, we were getting a lot of looks like that sounds fantastic. but um, you know, I don't know where to put you guys. Is this social listening? Well, no, we're not really social listening. Is it? Is it really just hardcore market research? Like, are you just sending out surveys? No, we're not doing any surveys. We're observational. Observational. We're just listening. You know, we're just um, interpreting what people are saying online, and we're teaching models, training models and machines to 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 do the interpretation and. It was really tough, man. I mean, it was it was like was it like disbelief, like no, that won't work. Or, yeah. I mean, <laughs> you know, no. it's like I don't know if I'm the you know if I'm in your seat. Of course, I'm going like I don't care what budget you put under, just buy it. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly, and and you know the the thought that you know that, yes, this this sounds too good to be true. 
um, you, you know, if you're not having humans read this and train machines what to do, then it sounds magical. Like, how right. can you actually be doing this without supervising the machines? And so it was, you know, we were taking some pretty hardcore um, machine learning, um, a little bit of neural network and some vectors, um, and then applying it to this problem. And and at the time, you know, people were still like, but where's the thumbs up, thumbs down from, you know, your favorite social listening platform? And we're like, no, you can get emotions. You can get so much better than that. You don't have to, you don't have to settle for that. But it was... It was a tricky time. I mean, I think having big companies like Google and Microsoft and, and IBM enter into that, you know, that space has helped because, you know, small companies like ours don't have to do the education anymore. But um, now there's, you know, people just understand there's there's a need and value for it. And that that's such an interesting point because, uh, you know, I think there's an, probably an equal number of people that are terrified rightly so that you know right. such and such big company just entered my space like i'm so hosed right. um but you know I, I don't know like if that maybe it's about you know really knowing your niche and understanding the difference between the weight of that educational category defining factor and mm -hmm. and did you did you have to adjust to the way that they were training about it and you know, change your way of discussion? Like, were the words different? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I think uh, it wasn't so much that as, you know, we have a patent um, pending around occasion extraction. And what this is, is similar to uh, Google's micro moments, or it's similar to these things. So um, the difference is theirs is based on search intent, and ours are based on comments. So you can point out how the artifacts that someone's getting or deliverables someone's getting out of a platform are similar, but that the approach or the data that's being studied is different. And, and then you present why that's different, why that's important. So search intent's great for getting intent, but not so great for getting what did they think of it after the purchase, you know, so there's a difference. I, I, I think of it, you know, these guys, if, if you can use the Star Wars um, analogy, I mean, You've got like the star destroyers, which are kind of blazing the trail. But you know, when there's a problem, you got to send out the tie fighters. You know, these it's the little <laughs> guys that are out fixing the you know fixing the problems, settling the smaller battles. But it's the big guys that are kind of helping everybody move along. And I think that's that's kind of what happened in this in this industry, or what's happening in this industry. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, it's interesting hearing you talk about you know the unattended AI. I just talked to a lot of, you know, sort of AI companies and, and, you know, experts. And there is not a large segment of the, you know, sort of uh, AI and ML utilization that can exist without human, um, you know, sort of involvement and, and intention that does, you know, make the model smarter or, you know, it, I know particular cases where you're just like, well, we need such a high degree of of positive mapping that we you know kind of we do want to have a, a human mm -hmm. intervene, and so maybe you know you don't run into that. You're not you know trying to save somebody's life, for example, or you know something <laughs> like that, right? Sure, um, sure. So, yeah, I mean, talk about that. You know, it's just what is what have you done there and unattended in just you know, maybe yeah. the, the story around that. So. Yeah, sure, sure. Yeah, that you know, there's really in this space of like machine learning or training, um, whether that's um, related to NLP or 
uh, word vectoring or other things, you kind of have the whole supervision, which is human supervised training, and then semi-supervised, which is where you, you may do a little bit and then let the machines kind of figure out the rest. And then there's unsupervised, where you just throw out a data set and um, you know it, it kind of figures out patterns um, out of that. Neural networks are an example of that. So you know our approach to scale and to enable our sort of predictions and extractions in any consumer-facing industry forced us basically to figure out how do we get a machine to train itself by just looking at the data. And, you know, so the first problem that you have to solve is you need really relevant and clean topical data, right? Because if you're building models on something, you need to be um, less sort of fuzzy and less dirty than, than you might if, you, if you've already trained something or, or you've curated something manually using industry expertise. So our, our goal is to basically take consumer commentary that we know is related to a topic. Um, we've got a set of algorithms that help us determine that even. Um, and, and then use that to model out industry taxonomies. So it's coming straight from the consumer. The thinking is that, you know, in marketing and R&D and sales, if, if you put the consumer in the middle of your strategy, then you, you've got something to really anchor onto. When do they use their products? Why don't they use their products? Is it, maybe there's something missing, you know? And so from an R&D standpoint, that's valuable. And when do they use it? It's valuable from a marketing standpoint. And how do they use it? It's great for sales. So if you can get machines to study those comments and even the imagery, um, then you, you have a pretty good win. And, you know, the one of the keys to the way we um, go to market is our platform sort of daisy chains a bunch of things together. So, you know, our, you know, after NLP and some of our machine learning um, algorithms run, the outputs of those become the inputs of the next step in the process. So, you know, it's, you, 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 it's completely hands off, um, but you can look at it as we're using the output of some machines to train, you know, for the input of other, other machines using other algorithms. So um, it's a pretty cool technique. Um, that uh, I just I haven't seen a lot about. I mean, you, you see a lot of companies in the space that are that are really strong at NLP or really strong with uh, with neural networks or um, image recognition, but you rarely see one that can just study the comments and use the text in those comments uh, related to the image to train on how to decipher the image. I mean, there's just a cool it's a cool cool space to be. But, so yeah. where are all these? This comments is this social media or I mean, what are the sources yeah for we, what you're putting into it we we, we have an intermediate uh, data format so we can use social media um, we only study publicly available comments so twitter is more more powerful in that case than than facebook because P facebook's a lot more private um, now and then you know you've got uh, depends on who you ask right <laughs> <laughs> you've got blogs and and we do blogs we do forums um, we do product reviews so you know it's a really rich data set and if you if you map out what each of those data sets are used for then you can start to model like what's the consumer journey like in Twitter they became aware of something you know via marketing or via uh, influencer. Um, in in a review, they might be talking about why they're considering two options. Like, I really like this about these running shoes, but I prefer this about these other running shoes. So you can kind of understand 
Now, when they become aware and how they consider options, e-commerce, you get purchase, a little bit of purchase and behavioral. And then in forums, you get kind of this rich texture. You know, if I'm talking running shoes and you want to know, you know, what's the latest trend in, in fashionable running shoes, um, you know, you could, you could say, well, a fashion, maybe you, you follow some, you know, some Instagram influencers and you see what running shoes are doing. But if you're actually a runner and you're running marathons and you have shin splints after mile 13, probably not going to get that in reviews. You're probably not going to get that reading Twitter, but you probably will get it, you know, in a, in a runner's forum. So let's run.com. Exactly. So, so that's the, that's the idea is if you can pick up, if you can pick up these signals and tie them together across all of these, even if you're not tracing the same person, just a similar type of people, you can start to understand that, that decision journey better. Right. Right. So talk about like an actual, I don't know, case study and particularly my, my brain goes to like, tell me things that you figured out that, you know, were totally non-intuitive and like, you know, blue minds, you know, when you <laughs> came to a conclusion. Yeah. I mean, it's marketing, right? So we're not gonna say, we didn't find the, we weren't able to visualize the first black hole, but <laughs> yeah, I mean, in, in, in marketing, I mean, we've done um, for one large um, U.S. auto manufacturer, we were able to tell them the Achilles heel for their uh, competitor in the same division was the placement of cup holders. And you're like, what? That's, I mean, how's that mind blowing? Well, the fact is this, it was targeted at, you know, soccer moms. And with this bit of information, they ran um, spring sales event and the fall sales event campaigns and had pretty overwhelmingly good uh, results, <laughs> triggering Just triggering some of the getting talking about the cup holder. Yeah. I know, and it's yeah. like something you're like, really? I mean, but you know, it's it's things like that. And or, all the industrial designers are just like, dude, like dude. You know, we just spent like two years on the body design, and like they don't care. <laughs> exactly, and we already have twelve cup holders. Why do I have to move it? You know, so yeah, that kind of stuff. Or dude, I'm a father know, of five. That that I yeah. it's the first thing I check. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. 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 I've got one that he's, he's young. So no cup holders for him yet. But um <laughs> you know we've we've also diagnosed we had a, a brand that was stagnant. Um uh, this is in the vitamin space working through one of our agency partners and was stagnant in in uh, they're trying to figure out what what happened between you know product launch and today. And we were able to diagnose that it came down to a change in marketing message, which was brought on by some overcautious, perhaps legal, uh, legal folks that said you should stop saying that you put fruit and vegetables in your capsules to make the capsule body, you know, of the vitamin because we do, but it's such a small percentage. So they went back to that and they saw positive results. They got credit for something they were already doing, but had to stop talking about not for any real legal reasons, but for some overcautious reasons. And, and in the, in the, in the end, they were able to sell more products. So, I mean, it's like I said, it's not the black hole, but it's some cool stuff that you can yeah. you know, tease out of this. Sure. Tease out of different sure. industries. Yeah, absolutely. I, so, I mean, just technology wise, you know, I, I have to ask, I mean, what is, yeah. this sounds like, you know, this workflow and you're talking about, you know, chaining together yeah. all the inputs, outputs, and I was like, Certainly, you're in some kind of cloud environment at this point. I imagine that was some kind yeah. of monstrous migration from, you know, uh, on-prem or, or bare metal, you know, over the course of since 2012. So I don't know, you know, any 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 good stories there. I, I'd love to know where you ended up. So 
obviously a lot of people yeah. want to get into this kind of space now. So. Yeah, we um, we started in AWS and are still in AWS. Um, our footprint's grow, our footprint's grown. Um, we've done some things to um, to sort of modularize things using Docker containers and you know, Ansible and other things that are maybe not native AWS. You know, they're more open source or more you know sort of best best of use, best of breed stuff. Um, and that, you know, that's enabled us to, you know, pull in, you know, other, other, um, artifacts as needed, but yeah, it's, it's really pretty core. I mean, we've, you know, we've used some of the native, um, AWS stuff, obviously, you know, um, S3 and that sort of stuff, but, um, you know, even at one point, I believe we were using RDS, which is, um, you know, their mm-hmm. version of a relational database, um, Postgres, I suppose, and, and their version of Elasticsearch, but in some cases, you know, the way that those things get configured out of the box don't really fit your case. So you end up rebuilding it on just on their, on their iron, you know, on EC2 instances. So, but yeah, we've been there for a while. I mean, we've got a, you know, automated environment using Ansible, some Jenkins. We do use a little bit of uh, cloud formation for certain areas. Um, yeah, it's you know, Lambda functions. I was so, going to say, like, you, you clearly have a use case for serverless, and that would have been something that was came available in the middle of your yeah your lifespan. You probably reduced your bill quite a bit for sure by, by yeah. doing that. I mean, you, yeah. hundreds of millions of of transactions that you can create and destroy. You know, I, yeah. I, I imagine that you had a lot of efficiencies to be gained there. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I mean, we went from. We had a full EMR cluster doing things that we were able to retrofit in Lambda with, you know, really very little effort. Um, other than, you know, we were using things like Pig and other stuff, so you had to obviously re, rework that. But um, the efficiencies and the, you know, even the costs, you know, monthly costs uh, for the same type of work has gone down. So yeah, it's been pretty pretty fantastic. I recommend that stuff when when it can be done. Absolutely. So what's, what's your engineering org look like? I mean, you must have to iterate the product, like just on an absolutely constant basis. How do you deal with that? Yeah, no, you, you know, you've got different, um, different leads over each area. So, you know, we've got a, you know, a UI built, built in node and, you know, an API for that. And so we've got, you know, someone that kind of owns that. Uh, we've got a data science, uh, obviously, deep data science sort of history and, and team there. Uh, we've got data collection and API consumption. So another person and then infrastructure. So it's really kind of those four groups for the core platform. Um, and then we've got, you know, folks doing customer delivery and other, other stuff like that. But And your data consumption, you talked about having intermediary, intermediary data format. So you're, you're going to mm-hmm. build into your, taxonomy there i imagine that you must be in a constant treadmill of of data sources that you need to normalize so etl i guess sort of going absolutely insane there homegrown etl but we're looking at um looking at uh glue and some other tools um in that in that area um so glue and and another amazon tool that i'm not as familiar with that allows you to Query from flat file and then um, trans. You know, they were able to write the transforms. Unfortunately, I'm not as I'm not as uh, well versed in that area. But yeah, they're, they're definitely ETL is important for us to get everything into sure. a format that we can 
because as I said, if you're daisy chaining all of these things together, you need to know what all the inputs and outputs are. So even at the beginning of the pipeline, we have to make sure that the inputs are formatted correctly. And how about, I mean, video must be monstrous. Like, are you consuming video too? We're not doing video. We do stills um, currently. And mostly the stills, we're analyzing our product listing images. So, Mm -hmm. you know, pretty straightforward, um, you know, what's the sleeve length? Is this a V-neck or not? You know, that kind of stuff. Right, right. Because I think about product reviews. I mean, it's like everything is an unboxing video now. And, (laughs) you know, I mean, mean, there's so much stuff there that... Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. That's just the, ne- the next, the next big thing, right? The next big thing. Out. Yeah. Yeah. yeah right yeah. on. Cool. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Talk to me about, you know, just from a organizational standpoint, since you, you said, you, you know, you wore a lot of the, you know, kind of executive hats and I'm just, you know, mm-hmm. compare and contrast what those roles were like, you know, and being a technical mm-hmm. leader and then having to be in the CEO seat. You know, I just think that, there's like very distinct differences between those and how you navigated that. Yeah. Yeah. So, so this is my, this is my fourth organization. Um, and in the previous three, I was in the CTO role. And so that's definitely a natural role for me. I think um, when we started um, Oculus 360 in 2012, um, you know, I, I took on operations, which is something I hadn't done before. So I was kind of intrigued with it couple, I think a year and a half into the journey, I, I then moved to um, tech not CTO role, which again is, is kind of my, my heritage. And, and I think, you know, if you just compare and contrast the two, um, operations, contract review, legal, all the things that us as developers probably are not that fond of doing, but it needs to get done, right? It has to get done. Like the, if you delay getting an invoice out, then you're going to delay getting paid, right? And as a <laughs> freelancer, we all understand that. And you scale that in an organization, it's kind of a big deal, right? So let me tell you, the contract review process is such <laughs> a peach. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So it's, a, you know, my, a friend of mine, um, friend of mine named Matt Clark, he, he used to say, it's the, it's the best um, the best work that no one wants to do. And that's kind of that operations role. You move into technology, and I think that's just a blast because you know you're you've got one eye on what you're doing and one eye kind of looking, trying to look around the corner and see what's next. Because ultimately, the goal in my mind of the CTO is to keep the business um, and the solution at a point where you can still charge a premium for that service. And whether you're you know whether you're a freelancer and you're doing your own training, you're kind of playing that role, or you're in an organization and you're worried about, you know, pressures from offshoring or other things, it's best to, you know, ha- have an eye on where's the market, what's the market demanding, or what are they willing to pay top dollar for? And how can I, you know, how can I take advantage, <clears throat> excuse me, to take advantage of that? So that, to me, is a lot of fun, because you get to, you know, get conferences, and you know, you get to, you get to meet a lot of cool people and, and discuss um, how new tech is going to affect kind of current uh, you know, today's uh, situation. I think the CEO role is, is new to me. And, you know, this is also a venture funded um, company. So it's my first time also having to deal with, um, with uh, venture um, folks. And so that, that's been, you know, eye opening um, and, and quite a learning experience. But, you know, in this case, it's now not just technology decisions and solution decisions. It's, you know, 
decisions around, you know, hiring and decisions around where we should invest and should we do this, you know, data agreement and that kind of stuff, which is, you know, it's more holistic. And, you you know, I think for me as an, as an entrepreneur for so long, one of the um, hard things to do is, is learn to go a little bit hands off and delegate and trust, trust the team. And so that, you know, now when you're faced with a, a role that you have your hands in a lot of different things, you, you absolutely have to delegate and be comfortable with the team that you're delegating to. So that, I don't know, if that's kind of my... No, it's yeah. absolutely right. Yeah. I mean, and, and trust is just like one of those things that you like, you kind of either do it or you don't. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, you know, it's so easy to micromanage yeah. because you like, you've been there, you built the thing, you know, like right. you did all the stuff, you know, the original yeah. code probably came from you. It did, and yeah. uh, you know, just all letting the stuff not all the stuff not used anymore came from you. Right, right. All the stuff that is now legacy that your devs want to throw out, you know, is yours, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> your bad comments are being trashed. Yeah. <laughs> so. It's you know, it's I, I get just a quick story there. I mean, I, I have uh, one of our data scientists is just fantastic, fantastic guy, and actually the whole team. But so I, you know, I threw out a problem. I said, this is great. You know, when we were first tackling image um, recognition, which isn't for us, it wasn't recognized whether there's a soccer ball. It was recognized whether the soccer ball is plastic or leather and what, you know, the primary and secondary colors are. So it was feature based. It wasn't just, mm -hmm. this is an object, which you can do with a lot of APIs. So, you know, my, when we were testing this out, we had to first start with, you know, manually curated labeled data because you got to make sure your algorithms are going to work. And so I was, you know, I was saying, well, maybe let's look at TensorFlow and let's look at, you know, these other tools, you know, ComNet and other, other tools and, and, and tool sets. And, you know, I kind of, you know, went off, was doing my thing, checked back in and the team was like, yeah, okay, well, we were able to do what you said, but when we did it this other way, um, you know, we got 98% accuracy in this and this, and I was like, okay, don't, don't, I didn't mean do what I said. This is great. This is, I'm so proud. You know, that's the, that's the sort of moment where you're just like, God, you just, you gotta, you gotta learn to trust and let go because especially, um, you know, the, the, this generation that's growing up digital native, um, with like taking coding in school, which I mean, we had, um, trash 80s and when I was in high school so uh, that dates me a little bit so it was you know coding was a little different we were you know doing basic but these guys are they're, they're learning stuff that is just so phen phenomenal that when you apply when you ask them to apply what they know to a problem you, you just gotta you know if they need direction fine but otherwise just kind of let them at it and uh, you get great stuff so <laughs> That's fine. Well, I can hear the passion in your voice to that. So that's good. You must be on the right road. So very cool. Very cool. Well, hey, John, this is this has been a great conversation. You know, thanks for um, thanks for joining and, and and sharing the insights. Absolutely. Yeah. It's a pleasure to do it, Ledge. Hope hope to talk again soon. Thanks for listening to the Frontier Podcast, produced by Gun.io. We're the only freelancing platform where engineers actually go to hire other engineers. If you enjoyed the show and want to learn more about how to hire or freelance with us. Head over to gun.io slash podcast to get in touch and we'll pay for your first 10 hours with a kick-ass engineer. Thanks for listening to the Frontier Podcast produced by gun.io. We're the only freelancing platform where engineers actually go to hire other engineers. If you want to learn more about how to hire or freelance with us, 
head over to gun.io and get in touch. Let us know you heard the podcast and we'll pay for your first 10 hours with a kick-ass engineer.